I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope you're having a good Memorial Day weekend from all of us at Sports Day Tampa Bay. And uh, hopefully you're spending time with your family, remembering those who serve in the military, their families, and especially those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom as I say, uh, we love you because you stand on a wall and say nothing's going to hurt us tonight. Not on my watch. God bless the troops. God bless America. Um, thanks for what you do. And we have a, uh, a lot of sports to talk about. Today was a busy sports weekend. The Rays beat the Orioles 8-3 to to win that series Sunday before heading off west on a road trip that begins this afternoon with a game in Oakland. And the offense came alive. They had six runs in the, in the uh, third inning. We'll tell you why this offense continues to surprise everybody, and we'll talk more about the trade of Denar Spann and Alec Colome, uh, who had a save on Sunday for the Mariners. We'll do that. We'll have a lot of discussion about that on Tuesday. And we've got a special treat today for uh, Bucks fans. Skylar Fulton, very interesting uh, young new receivers coach. He played receiver for Dirk Cutter at Arizona State, and he takes over for Todd Munkin. It's quite a group that he will be coaching, and we had a chance as uh, the media – to speak to him recently, we're going to play what was a very uh, insightful and colorful interview with a, an interesting guy in Skylar Fulton I think you'll enjoy if you're a Bucks fan. So all that and more on this Memorial Day edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Steve Bursnick, our producer. And before we get started on this podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. So you found your soulmate. Congratulations are in order. No doubt that your head is swimming with excitement and plans for the future. And not just the proposal in particular, but what about the engagement ring? Do you want to surprise her with it when you propose? Or maybe you shop for it together? No matter what you decide about the how is one thing, but the where, well, that's a slam dunk. Go visit my friend Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds to find an exquisite engagement ring and wedding rings as well. You'll see brilliant diamonds in every cut imaginable. Um, they're loose diamonds as well as mounted on precious metals. The choices are available in all kinds of ranges from classic and traditional to unique and trendy. And the best thing is, is Continental Wholesale's prices. They're going to fix you up with the kind of ring that you want in your price range. There's no pressure. When you come in, Annie's going to show you whatever catches your eye. He's going to help you decide on what would be perfect for your fiance while being respectful about your limitations budget-wise. Well, plus, you're going to learn the finer points of shopping for diamonds in the process. Look, you got to go see my friend Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. That's where you save money, and it's where I shop. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. So, Steve, you and I were at the Rays game on Sunday. The Sergio Romo experiment didn't go so well this time. He was making his second start against the Orioles in about 48 hours, and he only retired the first batter he faced. The, all three runs ended up being charged to Romo in the first inning, and, and the Rays pitchers, they, what, they walked like five, I think, in the first three innings. But uh, we'll get into what, uh, you know, what happened on the mound after that. They did shut him out the rest of the way. But as much as the Rays pitching – in that whole sort of opening pitcher has been a story. I think their offense may be a bigger one. I mean, 
putting aside the fact uh, of all the offseason departures like Evan Longoria and Steven Souza Jr. and Logan Morrison, Corey Dickerson, and those kind of guys, and the Rays have had at various times to endure stints on, stints on the disabled list. you got Matt Duffy and Carlos Gomez has been down there. Danny Hechevarria is, is on the DL now. Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, who's still out with torn ligaments in his thumb, and, and then came the trade of Denar Span, and that happened on Friday. And, of course, he was very effective as a leadoff hitter. He was, uh, I guess he was tied for the team lead with 28 RBI. We'll get into more of that on Tuesday, his trade to the Seattle Mariners. Uh, but, you know, in this game, for the second straight day, Brad Miller led off. And, you know, he homered with his first at bat, and the Rays rallied for six runs in the third inning. He had uh, a double in that inning as well. So, I'm impressed. I don't know how they're doing it. I, I mean, I look at this lineup, and you got a bunch of guys, many of whom are really just learning how to play in the big leagues. You know, Carlos Gomez, who's a guy they were counting on, really has struggled. He's batting under 200. He did have a home run um, in the game, but uh, it's been fascinating to watch. And I think you got to give the Rays a lot of credit for the way they've been able to string together hits. And even though I think they're like 25th in the majors in home runs, and so and they're not scoring a ton of runs, but they're they're matching it with pitching and defense, Steve. And I I kind of like watching these guys play, to be honest with you. They're getting timely hitting, and and yeah. at the beginning of the year, I, I know specifically, I said I didn't think this team could string hits back to back to back together to score right. enough runs because they weren't going to hit a lot of home runs. I've been wrong so far, absolutely wrong on this. Me and, too. And I don't know if it's just a carryover from years past, but as they give up three runs to start the game in the top of the first, and Sergio Romo and then Vidal Nuno comes in, you're sitting there thinking, this game's already over. That was mm-hmm. kind of the thought in my head, and, and because in years past, it would have been. Brad Miller then yes. leads off the bottom of the first with a solo home run, and now it's 3-1. to mm-hmm. one. And you're thinking, okay, maybe it's not over. Maybe they'll, they'll give it a, a run. And then the third inning, they erupt for six runs, take a 7-3 lead, and from then, the game was over. And, you know, yeah. Baltimore had no jump to them at that point, but... That, that attitude, the, there's an enthusiasm on this team that you haven't seen in years past, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that it, it's like they're having fun, and, and it's fun to watch them, and, and they battle. Um, they're not always good on the base pass once they, they hit, but beyond that, <laughs> they battle, yeah. and, 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 and it makes it fun to watch in that regard. They have really um, bought into you know, sort, of a, sort of this concept that, you know, they are better than, than, you know, the sum of their parts are better than they are individually. And, you know, we've said it, I've said it before that, you know, to these guys and people forget, you know, this is their major league dream. This is their opportunity to play every day. And uh, they have a lot of interchangeable parts. We saw Brad Miller lead off today, the last two days, actually. And he's a guy that can bat anywhere in the lineup. And he has, he certainly could be a cleanup hitter. Um, but, but they're not going to hit a ton, ton of home runs. Which right. It's the timely hitting. Um, it's, you know, trying to string hits together. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, we saw several years ago, and I'm not comparing them to the World Champion team, but Kansas City was a team that didn't strike out very much, um, made contact a lot, you know, found holes, and, and battled. And that was the thing. You know, um, they, were able, they were able to get, you know, extended bats, get favorable counts, not swing it at, at, at you know, bad pitches, and – and really, they don't give away at bats. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, Steve, that you're talking about is, you know, every time they go up there, it's not, you know, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. I mean, they are, they're going to extend it and, and, you know, foul pitches off and 
make the guy throw strikes, and they were able to, you know, spit on some bad pitches today from Gosman, who was usually very tough on them, um, and exploded. I mean, they they put when you put up six runs in an inning, that's very hard to do. And and I know I haven't covered him a ton. I mean, it seems like when I go on a Sunday, they have these offensive er- eruptions. So Kevin Cash should actually pay me to go out there now. Um, but they but they really do. They 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 just know their approach and they know their limitations. I mean, you know. We've seen in the past we talked about guys like Kevin Kiermaier uh, has struggled, you know, because he's a guy that's prone to try to drive the ball and pull it and instead of using his speed and hitting the ball up the middle or the other way. And that's sort of the approach that everybody else, though, is having is, is having the right approach. They're not, you know, when they get in trouble is when they try to do a little too much. Uh, but when they just hit pitches, you know, where they're pitched and um, try to make good, solid, hard contact, they really are they really are a handful. And – they, you know, they sent twelve guys to the plate in that third inning, um, and you know, it's it's even, heck, it's even the guys that don't play every day. I mean, Christian Arroyo had as good a game as as you could have, both defensively at third base. I don't know how many assists he had, but there was a ton of them. Um, and then, you know, the rally he walked to lead off the inning and came back around as they batted around and had a two RBI single. So um, he was he was very very good for a guy that doesn't play every day. I'm just impressed with them. I, I think when they get to June and you get to where, you know, you're going to start calling up some of these young guys, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be an awful lot of fun at, at the trop. I really do. Well, you talked about not giving away at bats and just even thinking back to some of last year's team. I mean, how many bad pitches did Corey Dickerson swing at? You know, oh. he hit a few of them. But yeah. how many bad ones, especially the second half of the year? I mean, you know, you didn't have to even come close to the strike zone and you could strike him out. How many strike threes did Steven Souza Jr. watch go by right down the middle of the plate? Watch and right then, down and the then middle, yeah. to the ump about, you know, the, the call when it's sure. right down the middle. Um, you know, you don't see that on this on this year's team. I mean, Carlos Gomez probably swings a little too much for the fences and at times needs to shorten it up. But, you know, as a whole, they're, they have a much more structured approach to their at-bats of what they're trying to do and, and, and trying to stay within themselves really, which is it's it's fun to watch because you don't you don't you don't ever have an at bat up there you're thinking, this ain't gonna end well. I mean you right. know, you're you're generally I mean there was a you know, there were times Steven Souza would get up there last year and he's a good player and, and and has done some great things, but there were certain at bats you just knew he was gonna watch strike three go by before the at bat started. You knew that was gonna happen. And the lineup, Steve, is so interchangeable. Um, to your point, I mean, it, it doesn't really seem to matter who's batting one through nine. It used to be in many years, once you get past five or six, you figure, you know, if you get any production out of the bottom half, you're, you're doing well. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, um, you know, these these guys just flip the order uh, back back around, and that's what Miller was talking about. He goes, you know, I let off the game after that. He came up, he could have driven in nine runs. On Sunday, you know, he had the the two hits his first two times up and drove in three. But honest to God, he probably left six guys on base the rest of the day, and that's because the lineup kept turning it over. Well, this and this Baltimore that, team, this is a bad Baltimore team, and they've lost oh, more horrible. than two games for every game they've won. But that being yeah. said, the Rays could have scored a lot more runs this whole series. They left a lot yes. of runs either on the bases or ran themselves out of runs, uh, mm-hmm. particularly Friday and Saturday. Sunday wasn't as bad on the bases, but Friday and Saturday they had an awful night on the bases. They le- they left a lot of runners that get out on the bases because of bad base running decisions. Yeah, and I talked to Kevin Cash, and he said, you know, that's sort of he took the blame for that. Said that's on him. It's not being too aggressive. It's just not making good decisions, and that's something they can't do. You know, because if you're gonna if you're gonna take a bunch of hits, 
to to score runs. You certainly can't run yourself out of innings. So we didn't see any of that on Sunday. Um, they played really good defense. I mentioned Carlos Gomez with a great catch in right field uh, in foul territory, and and that seemed you know he's an energy guy. He hasn't hit very well. Still batting under two hundred, but did hit his sixth home run on Sunday. And you know I I credit. I mean they shot, haven't. By the way, that was a monster shot. Yeah, that was a blast. And Brad Miller's, Miller's hit the D ring. Miller's was even bigger. Goodness, they hit the, he hit the D ring. I haven't seen many guys hit the D ring. I really haven't. That's the the farthest ring that it would have gone probably uh, over the scoreboard or thereabouts in right field. So they, that was a monster shot. So they had a couple Titanic home runs, and you know even though this uh, even though Romo really didn't get through the first innings, the last uh, two appearances in the last well, twice in the last three days that he uh, started the game, um, you know the bullpen has been pretty good, and Austin Pruitt. His last two outings has been terrific. He pitched five and two-thirds. He gets a save. The longest save since 2002 when uh, Joaquin Benoit uh, pitched seven innings and got a save for the Rangers against the same Orioles in 2002. Look at you spitting the knowledge. You like 2002. That? You like I, that? I, You know, I need you to help me uh, throw in those little tidbits when I'm writing my story on deadline, not now. <laughs> so that would have gone well about three hours I was ago. Up, I was up a booth. Uh, from, I was upstairs from you. That's a yeah, I know you were. That's a good one. That's a really good stat. So yeah, it was kind of to say the least, it was an extended save and only his second of his career. But he's pitched very, very well. Now when they go out to Oakland, um, so he pitched you know, really they, well today. Does that mean he's going to get sent down like Anthony Bonda? <laughs> yeah, I know. By the, Poor by the Anthony way, Bonda. And, and and look, I, I realize the Rays need arms and Bonda's got options, so that's part of it. But you're trying to get this team to buy into this whole opener and using the bullpen early and some of the starters essentially going later and that. A guy goes out and pitches six and a third innings like he did and pitched really well, and you're going to send him down after that? At some point. Well, they did. Well, I know that. And at some point, the players are going, you know, they're buying in and, and they want to believe and they're they're executing it. But when that's the reward for pitching well and you don't even get a start out of it and all that, as it's thinking about your career and financial impact in the future, you're going to start having problems. About it. I mean, you know, right now, those young guys are happy to be there, but as they start to realize we should be here and that stuff happens, that, you know, that could affect the clubhouse in that. It could. And I heard a lot of that talk today. I don't know. I didn't talk to any players about that very subject. I'm sure, I'm sure human nature being what it is, you don't like to see guys not get rewarded for doing well. And this is the and first he, time this has happened, and it happens with other teams. I mean, when you need arms, you need arms. And sometimes those with options go down. It just. Well, this happens. is part of the problem. Back. He'll be back soon in 10 days when you can come back. Yeah, but this is part of the problem with this, this, um, you know, this, these, these now two reliever days. Now, that, that could change um, when they get Nathan Ivaldi back. He's going to pitch on Wednesday. They were going to pitch Ivaldi on Tuesday. Yeah, they switched the order uh, up. But, so it's Archer on Monday, now Blake Snell Tuesday, and right. Ivaldi on and Wednesday. Evol- and the reason why, you know, talking to Kevin Cash, the reason they, they, they bought it over again and said, well, you know, Archer and Snell have been pretty doing pretty well back to back. They both, you know, right-hander, left-hander. They sort of attack hitters a different way. They like they like the diversity there, and then to follow that up um, with Evaldi. So that's that's what they're going to try to do now. If he comes back and is effective, and they build up his innings, and he he can become sort of that third starter, you know, another again a guy that's had a lot of injuries, and you just don't know um, exactly how he's going to hold up, but. If he's able to, then that maybe cuts down on some of the workload. Because I was looking at the number of innings this bullpen has thrown; it's it's unbelievable. Um, you know, they've had well, but I don't but know. some of the numbers look a little skewed because instead of starting Austin Pruitt today, you pitched him 
in out, out of the bullpen. So and you know so your starters are going innings. So you're, you're. I mean, this whole model is making sure you're going to pitch a lot more relief innings than anybody else because essentially Yarborough Friday, Bonda on Saturday, is like Pruitt a starter, Sunday. They're yeah. re- they're considered relief pitchers because they came in relief, even though you're thinking of them as a starter because they're going to get a bulk of the work. They're going to go four, five, six, seven innings. Right. That's correct. But you know, there's still guys you're using out of the bullpen at times. You know, that's, I mean, and, and right now they are sort of pseudo starters. I agree with you. Um, you know, but, you know, Pruitt, I mean, they're not available the next day. Let's put it that way. Um, and so that's the reason they've been sending these guys back and forth is is to try to, you know, collect more innings from somebody coming up from Durham. And the latest guy is an interesting player. I don't know when we're going to see him. We didn't see him on Sunday. But Jamie Schultz, you remember, he was on the verge of making the big league roster in 2017. He's one of their final cuts. And then he had... Uh, he got cut. He went down to Durham, and within his first ten pitches, I think he uh, tore his groin in his first game at Durham. That knocked him out three months. Then he came back. He tore his meniscus in his right knee. He played through both those injuries. He ended up needing surgery on both of them in the off season. Wasn't pitching that well at Durham. He was one and one. His ERA was like almost ten. Um, but I think as much as anything, it's sort of a reward to let him know, hey, we haven't forgot about you. You know, he's a guy that can throw hard. Um, and it's, you know they're sort of giving him that carrot. Uh, come up, give us some innings. You know if he pitches a couple clean innings, and that'll help his confidence. And and you know he'll be on the Durham shuttle. I mean this is sort of the way the season has gone this year. But um, I'll tell you between I mean they've gotten enough pitching and and pretty damn good defense um, for the most part when they're on their game. And again, timely hitting and just enough runs. It's 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 managed to get them within one game of five hundred. Uh, they've kind of hovered around there for a while now, and who knows? You know, I don't know who makes the schedule, but man, they really stuck it to the Rays, man. Two two West Coast road trips back to back that hasn't happened since I think 2012 to the Rays, and you know here they go again out to Oakland and then on to Seattle, and they finish up against the uh, Nationals in Washington D.C. But I believe so, by the end it, of this road trip, which will be the first week of June, essentially, uh, they're done with half their road travel for the year. That's correct. So, I mean, their their schedule is backloaded at home for the back half of the year. So, Which isn't a bad thing. If you can kind of stay in there and stay around 500, you know, just depends on what the other divisions do, but you're going to be in that wild card race. Um, so I think it's going to get really interesting when Willie Adamas and Jake Bauer and some of those guys come up in June. You're likely to see, you know, more possible trades or, or releases. We don't know exactly what, what – I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today the future holds for some of the other players. Um, but they're keeping their head above water and no one's sulking and everyone's going about their business the right way. And um, it's I, I, it's fun to watch. It was fun today anyway, if you were one of the 13,000 there, or I'm sure the many, many thousands at home watching the game. So that was interesting. So we spent a lot of time at One Buck of late uh, because of the OTAs, because of the off-season uh, workouts and whatnot, and it's been it's been fun, you know, watching them. Some of the new players, of course, a lot of new players on defense, and the rookies coming in. 
they still have OTAs this week. Uh, on Thursday, we'll have a chance to go out there and, and see their practice. They're open every, I think, third OTA to the media. And then in a couple of weeks, going to have the mandatory mini camp uh, around the middle of June. And that'll be it until they come back to training camp. Um, but one of the changes, and it's a major one, I mean, Todd Munkin, uh, who coached wide receivers and was the offensive coordinator, is now um, the offensive coordinator. He's not a position coach. He's still involved with the receivers. But, you know, primarily he's the guy that's scripting all the practices, calling all the plays, talking to James Winston an awful lot. And the new receivers coach is Skylar Fulton, who's a young guy, um, you know, who's I believe still in – I think he's still in his 20s, as a matter of fact – uh, he's been here a couple of years uh, helping Munkin, but now he takes over. And a dynamic personality, you'll hear that in, in this interview. He played for Dirk Cutter at wide receiver at Arizona State. And, you know, I think when you look at that wide receiver room, some of the guys they have, um, you know, whether it's Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson or Chris Godwin, of course, Mike Evans, um, you know, Adam Humphreys, there's, it's really a competitive group and a fun group to coach. And Fulton is pretty convinced he's the right guy for the job. You'll hear him talk confidently about his abilities, but also just what to expect from all these players at these positions. So here's the chance that we had uh, as the media that cover the Bucks to talk to Skylar Fulton. You'll really enjoy this. What's up? Who's going to start this thing off? How's the new job going? Man, the new job is awesome. The new job is awesome. I got a great group of guys, man, and working for Dirk, working with Monk. You know, our staff has been uh, phenomenal. How did this change for you? I mean, obviously you were involved with the receivers last year, but just what what is it like for you to step up into this role more formally? I mean, you know, more responsibility. I mean, the room's mine now. You know, they're my guys, kind of, you know, I'm choosing the drills and talking about the reps at practice and just, you know, the routes and one-on-one. So uh, more responsibility, but like you said, I've been with the receivers for two years before this. So, um, you know, I've been extremely lucky because I got to spend two years with Monk, who, you know, isn't just, you know, still the best receiver coach in the building, but probably the best receiver coach in the NFL. So. Um, to be able to learn from Monk and still have Monk in the building, uh, you know, to conversate with him, bounce things off of him, talk about different things has is, is been awesome. He's talked to us about his new job and how he you know, can be a little bit more of a sounding board to Dirk and maybe see the bigger picture. How can he leave a unique mark on, on this offense? How can he help this offense move forward? Uh, you know, I, Monk has a ton of experience. I mean, he's, he's, he's coached for a long time. He's seen a ton, a ton of different things. So now from the perspective that, that he's looking from of the whole offense, I think he just he's in a position to really get in Dirk's ear about different things. Um, you know, I think when you're coaching a position, you know, you're spending all your time coaching the position. So you miss other things at other positions. Monk's experience is second to none. And now him being able to see and spend more time on all the other positions, uh, I know he's just going to be able to help us tighten things up, you know, and get to where we're trying to go. Scott, there's not a lot of new faces in your room. So what does it mean to have, you know, that many guys that have been together now for a while? Man, it's uh, it's awesome. You know, I, I we had the rookie minicamp, as you guys know, uh, last weekend we got the rookies in. And I was just telling uh, Zach Grassi, you know, who's working with me at the receivers as well, like how much we take for granted the vets, you know, how, how much just they know everything and they do everything right and give the right examples, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, with the vets, you got A, B, C, D. I can start on E and we're, we're rocking and rolling. Then I go with the rookies and I start on E and I get all these blank stares and I'm like, oh, we got to start at A. Okay, let me explain that. So it's been awesome to have the vets and, and in terms of our room, man, just the type of people they are. I mean, obviously, you know, I got a ton of good players in my room, but like, Working with the guys day to day, interacting. I mean, we spend a ton, ton of time together. So the type of guys that they are, man, it's it's awesome. I'm guessing, coach, that you probably met with each of these guys as they started coming in and maybe went over the film last year and 
what you want him to do better this year? A guy like Mike Evans, for instance, I mean, four years, 1,000 yards. What can Mike Evans do better, and what are some of those things you guys probably talked about? You know, I, I think with Mike, it's just as he gets more experience and he plays more of the nuances of the game, um, you know, Mike's going to continue to make plays. You know, the tough thing for Mike is everybody knows who Mike is. You know what I'm saying? People that don't even watch football, they know you got to double cover Mike. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I look at last year, a lot of people talk about Mike had a down year last year. It was, you know, for whatever. I mean, statistically, maybe because he hardly got 1,000 yards, but it's like, how many guys you know that got, got 4,000 yard seasons? I think there's three, right, in the history of the NFL. So when you're going into your fourth year, everybody knows you've had 3,000 yard seasons and you're still getting double teamed and you get 1,000 yards, that's, that's not a down season to me, especially when you take into account the things that people don't watch. Mike plays without the ball. The things that Mike does for us when he's not even getting the ball that people don't understand are, are extremely important. And, and Mike's selflessness of playing hard without the ball and being consistent and being on the field, uh, you know, we're lucky to have that. In your mind, uh, do you, you got the best group uh, in, in the league uh, of targets? No question. And, got, and does that put pressure on you to, to, to uh, maximize I mean, it? It doesn't put pressure on me because it is what it is. We, we're just going to do what we're supposed to do. You know, ultimately, we got to come out, we got to do the little things right consistently, and we got to play hard. You know what I mean? If we come out, we do little things right consistently, we play hard, uh, I'm confident that the tape will show, you know, what our group is capable of. The story of the last two seasons has been this team can move the ball really well offensively, but it just the production hasn't been there in the red zone. You know, how can you guys as a group change that? Uh, you know, from a receiver standpoint, shoot, we got to score more touchdowns. I think, you know, run after the catch, you know, catching balls in the red zone, taking slants, turning them into touchdown hitches, you know, quick game routes, breaking the tackle, getting the end zone, and then just being more disciplined and consistent on our routes, uh, you know, in the red zone when the ball is supposed to come to us and then making tough plays, you know. But uh, it's definitely an emphasis for us uh, in our room. The guys know that, uh, you know, if they're not going to double Mike, Mike's a good answer to a lot of things if you got a one-on-one -on -one, uh, in the red zone. If they are going to double Mike, then other guys have to step up. God, it was a frustrating year for Deshaun Jackson. Um, and how do you think he handled it um, at times, especially towards the end of the year? You know, I, I think Deshaun was fine. Um, anytime you've been as productive as Deshaun's been in the NFL and, and you've been on the stages that he's been just in general as an as a athlete, I think that the competitive nature and the expectations are set so high, like it's almost disappointing every season you have. You know what I mean? Deshaun could have 800 yards and nine touchdowns and it would be disappointing, you know? So um, in terms of how he handled it, he handled it fine with me. You know, I, I think he handled it fine. Uh, Deshaun's been around so long and he understands the nuances of being in the NFL and being a pro and how everything that goes with it. Um, he'll be fine. Well, you he's think he'll fine. be better this year and why? Do I think? You think he'll be better this year Deshaun? and why? Yeah. I, I definitely think he'll be better this year. I, you know, one more year in the same place, it's just like anything else. Sure. You know, last year he came in, you're feeling your way out, you're learning the plays, you're getting the timing down, you're figuring out where the bathroom is. You know, now you come in second year, you know, he has a relationship with Jameis, he knows our offense, he's comfortable in the building. You know, it just allows you to play faster, it just allows you to communicate better. Uh, you know, and ultimately I know him and Jason, him and Jameis have a relationship one-on-one -on -one where, you know, they're talking, they're communicating uh, and getting on the same page. And, and, and ultimately, you know, for me with Deshaun, Deshaun's the same as Mike. 
Deshaun can have a huge impact on the game and not have a ton of statistics, you know. So fans and, and a lot of times the media and even sometimes coaches, you know, we, we look to statistics to see if somebody's being productive where when you look at a guy with Deshaun's speed, I mean, the things he can do to a defense to help our offense in other areas yeah. that people don't see if you're not really Without watching the, the tape or you don't understand the scheme are second to none. I mean, you know, uh, you show me somebody that can stretch the field like Deshaun Jackson still can in the NFL, and I'll show you somebody that I don't think is real. <laughs> What's it going to take for Chris Godwin to pick up where he left off and, and become that emerging player in, in year two now? Uh, time, in terms of from us to get to here to there. I mean, Chris, Chris does everything the way you're supposed to do it. You know, he comes in, he takes care of his body, he works hard, he knows what he's supposed to do, and he does it the way we coach him to do it. You know, so to me, again, for Chris, it's just experience. You know, the more experience he gets, the more, and, and, and even that being said, like Chris already carries himself like a vet, you know, but there is no substitute for experience. So that game experience of seeing certain looks and learning the little nuances of different things, whether it's a split, a technique, whatever it might be, I think that Chris will continue to pick those things up and his game will de develop from that aspect. But from a day-to-day, -day working hard, you know, catching balls, practicing hard, I mean, Chris does everything the way we ask him to do it. As a young receiver, what can that that game-winning touchdown at the end of last year do for him and, and propelling him. I just, I just think confidence. You know, I, I, I still, uh, you know, put on the, the the clip where he got tackled at the one in Carolina. You know, because then and I give him a hard time that Bobo <laughs> that Bobo got a touchdown before he yeah. did. Um, but ultimately, I, it just gives you confidence. You know, you go out and you make plays like that on the NFL stage in a pressure situation at the point we were at in our season when he caught the touchdown against New Orleans to win the game. And it's just another step of maturity and confidence. Now, when we get into a similar scenario, that's nothing to him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's done it before. He knows he can do it. Are you at a point with him where I think Munkin said it, he's earned the right to, to compete for a starting job? Like he's uh, put no himself question. in that position. I mean, I, I think, you know, when it comes to that, you know, we got so many good players. Yeah. You know, we could we could have that conversation and, and play that you know, back and forth. But from the standpoint of is, is Chris good enough? No question. I mean, what, what Chris has done and continues to do, I mean, he's going to continue to ascend as a wide receiver. That's why we picked him in the third round. That's why he was playing a ton at the end of the season. And as Chris continues to do things right and play hard, he's going to continue to ascend. Scott, do you have a good Dirk Cutter story from back in college and be a little different now? Uh... I have a lot of good dirt stories, but I'm not gonna tell them here. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything off the top of my head that I. What you have anything else? How, how is <laughs> <laughs> it's just one subject. <laughs> as, a, as a coach, how is, have you seen him evolve? Yeah, you've been around him a lot. How, how have I seen him evolve? Um. I mean, you know, when I was around Dirk at Arizona State as a player, I mean, you know, I was way younger, he was way younger, his kids were way younger. I think just seeing Dirk mature as a as a father and a parent, you know, in terms of his kids going through college ages and dealing with young adults and, you know, now being in the NFL for 10 years, it's just a different environment. You know, in college, you're academic meetings, you're making sure guys are going to class, you know, you're running them when you're missing class. When you're in the, the pros of the NFL, you know, it's, it's more professional. You know, you're not babysitting guys. You're not chasing them around trying to figure out what's going on. You're just doing your job. And one thing that, that Coach Cutter is extremely good at is doing his job, you know, from an offensive uh, coordinator standpoint, from a head coach standpoint, really from a leadership standpoint. So, you know, I, I don't think that any of the things have changed from Coach Cutter being a phenomenal leader and being uh, really specific about being right about the details and the things that he stresses 
you know, from the standpoint of what he expects out of the guys. But what's changed is just the environment, you know, how you can handle the guys, the types of things you have to do, you know, with the guys and the conversations that need to be had. Tyler, what about this opportunity for you? I mean, you know, they could have gone outside, found guys that have been position coaches in the NFL. You're still a very young, young coach in yeah. your own right. I mean, what do you make of, of the trust they've put in you right now? Uh, I, I make that uh, Coach Cutter made a phenomenal decision. You know, uh, uh, I'm extremely confident. I've spent, you know, the last two years in this building with these guys. Um, as you guys said, for the situation um, with the with the vets that we have in the room that know what's going on and the things that we need to get out of that room to get better in that room, there's not a person better for the job. So, you know, I think they made a phenomenal decision. And obviously, as the season goes on, hopefully you guys are writing stories about that coming to fruition. How important is it, you know, like you said, they could have gone outside, but they chose to, to go with someone who's been inside the building who knows those players already. How important is it for you and your position to know those guys, what makes them tick, you know, not just, you know, what their physical abilities are, but know them personality-wise? Yeah, I, I think that that's extremely important. I mean, we spend so much time together, and you think about, obviously, the season's, you know, 17 weeks and we play 16 games, but we spend so many days together in this building in the off season and even in the season meeting, you know, doing different things, practice walkthroughs. So, you know, when you when you know your guys, you know what you need to do to get them to go. You know kind of what their hot and cold buttons are. You know, you know when a guy walks in just by how he's walking, if he's having a good morning or a bad morning. So uh, from that standpoint, I think it's extremely important. And, you know, obviously me having been here, we just keep on rolling. You know, you don't really have to meet anybody new and we're not figuring out. We're just trying to get better. And, and to that effect, too, you know, Coach Munkin and Coach Cutter, you know, they have that relationship now, too. And, and Coach Munkin, I would think, gets an opportunity to speak up a little more and be more of a sounding board, maybe even push back with Cutter a little bit. What's their personality dynamic like? Yeah, I, I don't uh, – the personality dynamic is Coach Coach Cutter and, and Monk communicate really well. I mean, in terms of, you know, pushback and all, all of that, I don't, I don't really see pushback. I see communication, right. you know, and I think that uh, – you know, Monk and Dirk have a history where they've seen so much together and interacted so well together that when things come up, they're looking at each other across the field. They don't even have to say anything. And I think that's what, you know, the difference is, you know, Monk can see that whole picture now to where, like I said, you look across the field. If I'm Dirk and I'm looking over there, me and Monk, oh, we just saw the same thing. Yeah, let's get that right. You know, and obviously even with, with the other positions, you know, now you got two guys that are kind of roaming around getting in the ear of some of the players or the other position coaches, you know, making sure things are the way that they're supposed to be. Your energy, uh, Monk's commitment to doing things the right way. You know, ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of coaches like that, but when, when you come in this building, you feel Monk's energy. Um, guys know Monk's going to bring it every day, and they know that he really cares about this. Is there a story or something that maybe you have of him that really kind of demonstrates that or, or really kind of stands out to you like, man, this is a guy that if I was playing, I would want to play for him, or this is a guy I'm really happy I get to work with? Uh, I just think ultimately, man, just being around Monk every day, just the attitude he comes in with and, and how he handles uh, everybody as people, you know, understanding that they have families and lives outside of this and taking the time, you know, to talk to guys about things like that and actually, you know, think about those things when we're talking as coaches in terms of how they impact some of the, some of the other things that are going on. So, you know, just from the standpoint of him, you know, genuinely caring about guys and taking things into account that I've been around a lot of coaches that haven't um, make him different for me. You mentioned the rookie minicamp. Uh, what's your initial impression of Justin Watson, your receiver in the room? Uh, I think Justin has a ton of potential, man. He's big, he's fast, he, he works hard. He's another guy that's doing everything the way we ask him to do. Um, you know, obviously he's been around for four days or, you know, four mm -hmm. practices. So, um, He's got a long way to go, but the good news for Justin 
is that he's got a room full of guys that, that can show him how to do it the right way. And, and when you're around, you know, guys like Mike and, and Godwin and you're following behind them in line and running the route right after him and you get to sit there and talk to him and ask him like, hey, what did you think about that? Or, oh, how did I do that? Or how would you do that? Uh, he's the type of guy that's going to take that, take those resources and run with them. So I'm, I'm extremely excited, uh, you know, about Justin and I'm looking forward to continuing coaching. So as I said, uh, fun guy. Skylar Fulton, I think he's going to do a good job there with those wide receivers and um, certainly be something to watch that position. I think it's one of the strengths of their team. So the Rays play today at 4 p.m. So as you're enjoying, hopefully, your Memorial Day and keeping the troops in mind and uh, recognizing their service to this country, we hope that you have a chance to tune in, maybe watch them play the Oakland A's. Another note, uh, we spent a lot of time uh, on this podcast, talking about Josh Freeman, had an interview with him. Well, Josh Freeman has retired from the CFL in the Montreal Alouettes. That happened uh, recently, I think on Friday, as a matter of fact. Um, so he is uh, retiring from football, and it doesn't surprise me. We'll discuss more about that uh, in the weeks to come. And uh, I hate to remind Lightning fans because this would have been an even better day in Tampa Bay, but the Stanley Cup finals begin tonight. Washington is at Las Vegas. A lot of buck ties. Uh, with Washington, if you had, or with, uh, I'm sorry, with um, Las Vegas, if you hadn't had a chance, read Greg Almond's story on TampaBay.com about all the connections, particularly in marketing and things like that. Uh, but it will be the Capitals against the Las Vegas Knights, and that begins tonight. So, big week of sports, and we will be here to talk to you about it all week long. We're here Monday through Friday, and we appreciate your feedback. You can always. Reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my, email, my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Love for you to rate and review this podcast. Steve, where can they get it? Anywhere you get podcasts, whether you're subscribing through iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or SoundCloud, you can like the, the post there. You can review them, leave a comment. Or you can go to tampabay.com slash sports. The latest headlines are there, but also the latest podcast, too. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Memorial Day, everybody. 